Are you ready to invest in yourself today? Welcome to the Wealth Builders Podcast. Where investment leader Billy Epperhart teaches you how to build wealth through applied biblical wisdom. Scripture says in Deuteronomy 8.18, Remember the Lord, your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. At Wealth Builders, our goal is to teach you how to build wealth through applied biblical wisdom in your finances, your business, and your investments. Now, let's join Billy Epperhart. Today, uh, we're going to start uh, with the book Change Mastery. And uh, we have introduction. We're going to talk about in this section the introduction in chapter one. And so, uh, Here's change master. We talk about in the book, I talk about two kinds of change. So as you're studying this, there's what we call force change. And force change is the story I give where I talk about what happened at Columbine High School. Now, I don't know if some of you know this. I, I mentioned this the other day, actually, to the first and second year students when I was in uh, upstairs in the barn. Some, some of you don't even know that I actually was a pastor, not just a business person. And the reason that I bring that up to you is because uh, in 1999, I was fishing in the mountains of Colorado and uh, in, a, in a belly boat. Now, the book says I turned my boat back, uh, but I turned my boat. It was really like a pont, little pontoon boat that you, that you have flippers in your kick. And I was sitting in the middle, not too far from where we are right now. I was in Spinney Mountain Reservoir, right up there by Hartzell, if you go on Highway 24. And I was up there, and I got a call back in 1999 on my cell phone. And, uh, the cell, you know, we didn't have smartphones, right? We just had those little phones, had a little phone. And I uh, got a phone call, and my youth pastor said, um, Hey, uh, we've had a shooting at Columbine High School. Now, I, the reason I got that cell signal is because I was in the middle of the lake. So that water and everything, whatever it was, drew that cell signal in. I was able to talk to him as clear as a bell. He was really upset. And uh, so I said to him on the phone to the youth pastor, I said, listen, it's just, I'm sure it's a senior prank, is what I said to him. I said, I'm, I'm sure it's a senior prank, because Columbine back in those days was known for that, just so you know, it was known for doing senior pranks. Our, our church was a half a mile from Columbine High School, so we were the closest church to um, Columbine High School. And so then my assistant pastor, whose name was Ray, he called me about an hour later and said, hey, this is serious. He said, there's something going on. And he said, and then he started relaying to me, so I, I kicked back to shore just as soon as I could. I got in my, my truck, started driving back, and I was on the phone, and you're going up on the hill. I didn't come this way. I didn't come 24. I went back 285, went another highway back here in Colorado to get home, and you have to go through the hills to get back. Well, every time I'd get to the top of a hill, uh, KOA radio 850, I'd get hit the hill, and they were reporting on it, like because back in those days in 1999, we had not had any really mass shootings. You remember that? So when I got back, of course, I was confronted with, uh, you know, a tragedy as though I had never experienced in my entire life. I experienced some tough things at different times, but I'd never experienced anything like that. 
And that's an example of when something like that comes straight out of the blue. You get up that morning and you think you're going to go fishing and you're going to have a nice day, come home about 3 o'clock, you know, and have a nice dinner. That's, that was the, you know, idea of the day. And I came home and literally, some of you don't know this, but my life changed that day. My life literally changed. I went from fishing by myself in the middle of a lake uh, in 48 hours. I was on CNN, NBC, CBS. I talked to all of the whoever you think. I prayed for, uh, I won't say the name since I'm being recorded, but I prayed for two main anchors on national television. If I said both of their names, you'd know who I'm talking about. So I know what it's like to have to experience forced change. And today, the community, even here we are since 1999, we're, we're recording this in 2018, so almost 20 years, we're, we're right at 20 years, and there's still some really difficult things that are happening in the community. So the point is this, the reason, one of the reasons this book is out is because all of us face forced change. In other words, there's things that happen in our lives that we didn't see coming. And even when I'm talking to you as a business class, or I'm talking to World Outreach, we have things that happen to us in our lives, things we want to do, things we want to see. Change comes out of nowhere, right? Sometimes change comes directly from somebody you're not getting along with. Sometimes change, force change comes from somebody that doesn't like what you're doing. Sometimes force change comes from stuff like a tragedy, something you didn't even see. And so we've got to learn how to deal with force change. So the, fourth, the first kind of change is really fourth, uh, excuse me, force change. And then the second kind is what I like to teach in the book, and we're going to really get into it later, and that's proactive change. And this is where there's times when you choose to change in your life. And uh, in fact, I like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. We know it. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creature, right? He's a new, the new creation has come. The old has come, excuse me, has gone. The old has gone and the new has come. So I tell the story. Some of y'all, how many of you heard my rice and gravy story? A couple of you have, well, a lot of you. So let me tell it again. And then it, if you've heard it, too many of you heard it, it won't have much, as much impact. But several years ago, and I'm going to abbreviate this because we've got a lot of territory to cover. But several years ago, I decided that I, was, I needed to get rid of rice and gravy. Now, rice and gravy, you know, from South Texas, because I was raised around rice farms down there in the low water country, right on the coastal plain, we had a lot of rice farms. And so my mother, instead of fixing mashed potatoes, would fix rice, white rice, okay? Now, we'd still have mashed potatoes sometimes, but she would fix white rice, and then she'd put that South Texas cream gravy all over the top of that rice. And so that cream gravy was made out of, really, the best one was made out of animal fat, lard, like the old, uh, the old animal lard stuff. She would use that, and then she'd pour whole milk in it. Uh, well, first of all, put some flour in the lard, and she'd make kind of what we would call, we didn't call it, but Cajuns call it a roux. She'd make kind of a roux going, and then she'd pour the whole milk in there on it, fill that thing up, and it would come down to cream gravy. And then you take that, and you literally could spoon it. I mean, you just kind of plat it down, and then if you wanted it real thick, and then you would, I would take it, that's how I was raised, I would take it and cover it with Heinz ketchup. 
I wish I could get some help. I'm trying. <laughs> and, so, and so so I would cover it with, with, with Heinz ketchup. And so I, I, I did that. And so I remember one day I was having a hard time. I love rice and gravy. You can still tell my waistline needs help today. But, uh, but uh, so one day I said, you know, I need to get rid of rice and gravy in my life. And so one day, true story, I actually did this. I took my little hospital communion tray that I had where you serve people communion in the hospital. You know, you take the juice and the bread. And I, would, I took it and brought it home, set it right there on, my, on the cap, uh, not cap, but the, uh, the counter in my kitchen. And I had a funeral for rice and gravy. And I said, I said, rice and gravy, you're dead to me. I'm no longer going to eat of you. I no longer will partake. You're dead and gone. I bury you today in Jesus' name. And so I buried rice and gravy. And that was on a Saturday afternoon. On Wednesday afternoon, I came home late afternoon uh, from a hard day at the church. You know how that is, a hard day at the church. I came home from a hard day. I opened the door. And I walked in, and rice and gravy called out to me from the grave. <laughs> and it said, come and partake, come and partake. And so the good news is I didn't. Until this day, true story, I have never eaten South Texas cream gravy and rice together again. I literally had a funeral for it. But I will tell you, it will cry out to you from the grave. So one, so one of the things... One of the things that you have to know is when we talk about proactive change, proactive change is really making a decision to choose to change. And so there's forced change and there's proactive change. And I will tell you this, the truth, in your personal life, those, you know, this year in business school and in, in leading world outreach and the things that we're doing, uh, one of the greatest things that people have a difficult time with is change. If you want to talk about leadership, you know, the word leadership gets thrown around and all kind of tags get put on it. My personal belief and thoughts are some of the greatest challenges of leadership is understanding and knowing how to change or how to deal with change in your own life. And then secondly, which we're going to talk about in a whole other section, the greatest challenge is understanding how to introduce change and how to lead change. So... Every organization needs innovation at different times. Every organization must introduce change, even in your business or whatever organization or you choose to go work in when you come out of here. Proactive change is necessary. When we teach on innovation in business school, innovation just by its name involves change. And I will tell you what people have Anytime you get a group of them together, the greatest challenge they have is in the area of change. So the change master, of course, Jesus, was proactive in ministering change. He turned the water into wine. He healed the blind man. He touched the leper and healed him and made him clean. Jesus also dealt with forced change. When Lazarus died, when Judas betrayed him, we know the story, when Judas betrayed Jesus, and ultimately, he laid down his life on the cross. In other words, he went through the greatest metamorphose or the greatest change man has ever experienced because he died and then he was resurrected from the dead. And today he's alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. Can you say amen? 
So here's some questions to ask yourself about change, just to kind of get your position as we get into this. The first one is, in five years, you will have changed. Now, that's a fact. Now, by that, I mean physically, you probably will change. You'll look a little different than you do now. But the question is how. So there's going to be some things about you that have changed. The question is how. In five years, you will be somewhere. The question is where. And in five years, you'll become something. The question is what. So in other words, you can either choose to be proactive in what you're doing about change in your life, which should set all of you up in business school. You're getting ready to graduate. So... The idea is you'll be somewhere, the question is where. In other words, what kind of direction in your life do you want to take coming out of here? Because what, what I find is people that have the most difficulty, and remember this, people that have the most difficulty with dealing with change, forced change in their life, are people that have not taken the initiative to have or experience or initiate proactive change in their life. So people that have the most difficulty with forced change are people that have um, not taken the initiative. Here's why. Because most people, one of the reasons why, most people live and die in a non-growth environment. Most people live and die in a non-growth environment. So what happens is, the minute they, they graduate from high school or they graduate from college, they quit changing and they quit growing. And so they don't develop the skills that are necessary for change when it happened. When I go back and look at Columbine, and I remember this very distinctly, uh, several years, uh, three or four years after Columbine, one year after Columbine, this was in the national news. This was in the global news, what I'm about to tell you. But most people don't remember this. Almost to the day, not quite, a little bit short, but almost to the day, a year after Columbine, right next door to the church. That means literally the two parking lots abutted each other. Somebody, the, the murder has still not been solved today. Nobody knows who did it. But someone snuck in the back door of a Subway sandwich shop and there were two Columbine teenagers, one was 15 and one was 16. Somebody snuck in the back door of the, sh of the shop and killed both of them. There was no robbery, there was no money gone, there was nothing that was visible that they could tell was stolen, but two more teenagers were killed. I conducted the funerals of those. What I didn't say was, for Columbine, I conducted uh, four funerals for, for, the, for uh, four of the Columbine victims in five days. Four funerals in five days. A year later, in our church, I conducted the funeral for those two who were murdered in the subway. So I can tell you I have dealt with forced change when it comes on a community. I, ha I, I mean, I've sat with crying mothers and held their hands. That's the real deal there. That's real. You don't fake that. That's the real deal. So I can't fake it either. I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I, I, was, I was overwhelmed myself to say the least. But the point is, we have to learn how to deal with forced change in our life because it does come. Do you understand? Now, it's not always tragedy. Do you understand that? 
It's not always tragedy. Sometimes it's something else. So it always puts us ahead of the game if we learn to be proactive. So let's look at chapter 1. And, uh, and we call this to change or not to change or how you respond to change. So how do we do that? So remember this. Change is a process that anyone can learn. And I like to say it this way, change is the essence of life, it's constant. In other words, our world is in perpetual motion, and so one of the things that we have to do is learn to, uh, to uh, not only accommodate, we're going to talk about how you deal with change later, but we need to understand that change is here to stay, whether we're talking about technology or we're talking about other things. So here's, here's what I call the secret sauce, and uh, we read Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. See that right there? It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. So the truth is, is the word transformed meets change. See right here? That's the word metamorphose, which, you know, is, the, is literally the caterpillar turning into the butterfly, Right? So transformed literally means changed, and renew literally means changed. Now later in this, I'll talk in much more detail about this verse and these words, but I want you to see you could read it, and do not be conformed to this world, but be changed by the changing of your mind. So in my opinion, the greatest scripture in the New Testament and really in the whole Bible on the subject of change is Romans 12 too. Because it's telling us what we need to do, that we are changed by the changing of our minds. So when, we're, when we equip ourselves, scripturally speaking, to deal with change, that process of equipping ourselves to deal with change comes by renewing our mind to the Word of God and through the Word of God in order to experience change. Now, you know, I see it in organizations all the time, not just here, not just here, but in other organizations out. The minute, you know, I'll have, sometimes I'll have somebody uh, in small business where I go out. I went into an oil company in Dallas, Texas, and I taught on the subject of change. When they had all the VPs sitting around, and there was a group maybe of 20 in the conference room. The president comes walking in. And uh, it comes and sits down, kind of plops, kind of plops down uh, in, a, in a chair outside of the conference table. I'd never met him, didn't know anything about him, never, had never been introduced to him before. It's a pretty good-sized company in Texas. You know they do all in Texas, right? So it's a pretty good-sized company. And I remember teaching on change to this whole company. And I remember uh, uh, I had no idea how he was responding. I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if he liked it, he didn't like it. So I talked for about 50 minutes, and, and then I was done, and I sat down. And then they did a little bit of whatever business, and then they, they dismissed the meeting, and he came up and shook my hand. And he started talking to me, and he said to me, now listen now, he said to me, he said, wow, I can't believe you taught on that. And I said, why? Well, I, I didn't know what was going on. He said, our last 10 wells direct head, what they call the direct, you know, where they go actually go in direct wellhead investments. He said, our last 10 direct wellhead investments have been totally dry. We got nothing out of them. And he had a little tear kind of coming up. <laughs> and he said, uh, 
He said, it's the first time our company's ever been through that. And he said, I got to be honest with you, I didn't see it coming. And he said, what you just talked about today on how to deal with change and that forced change has come, all of a sudden, he said, even our engineers, our landman, they call them uh, a landman, landmen, he said, even our landmen and people that are out there scouting leases now, everybody's timid and afraid because they didn't see this coming. So the point I'm making to you is when we look at this is you and I, if we're continually renewing our mind to the word, it helps us be prepared better for change. So when we look at the next one, force change, force changes are external events that are not self-initiated. What I just explained. Proactive change is actually invigorating, which we showed you a while ago. And by that, it means, you know, that's anything from going on a diet, pray for me, okay, but anything from going on a diet to any other thing you do, you decide to read one book a week, you decide to read one book a month, any, any kind of self-initiated change that, it, that empowers you to become something different, and then proactive change is encompassing. In other words, what I like to say about that is, and, and, and you, you know, if you're taking notes here, this is important, always remember this. One discipline affects another. One discipline affects another. So if you actually decide to make a change in one area of your life, typically it'll affect many other areas of your life because it's not done in a vacuum. And so I actually talk about that in the book, but one discipline that you initiate affects another area of your life or another discipline, right? So if you get up and decide to start reading the Word and you hadn't been doing that, say for 30 minutes a day, or you decide to start exercise, what, whatever it is, it's amazing how one discipline will affect another. So we're, we're in chapter 1 here, and I want you to understand this. So this is the emotional effects of change. Now I'm going to give you a little statement here, and it's not in your notes, and it's not in this part of the book, but I want to give it to you here anyway, and it's this. Most people don't resist change, they resist loss. So people are not fighting you when it comes to change. So for example, if you try to, we're talking about proactive change, if you try to, and the operative word is introduce change, right? So let's say even in your marriage, Let's say you want to do something different. I came to my wife several years ago, quite a few now. You know, we're only 39. How many of you know that? Only 39. Okay. We're only 39. And so, but several years ago in our life, quite a few now, 30, 35 maybe years ago, I came to her and said, honey, I want to move. I was only four at the time, so we're clear. But uh, I said, honey, honey, I want to move. I want to leave from from where we were down in Louisiana, I want to come to Denver, Colorado, and which was a mega change. And, uh, and I was uh, kind of probably going through an age transition at that time. What I didn't realize, and honest, this is the honest truth, I was excited about the move, but I didn't realize the loss that she was going to feel because I took her out of a... I mean, if I can be candid, I'm not, you know, as I said here recently in one of our other seminars, I said, you know, I'm not a big deal. So when I use me as an illustration, I just happen to be the best person I know, right? <laughs> so when I, tell you, when I tell you about the stuff I did, I'm 
not doing it to make myself a big deal, but the point was we, we had a pretty good thing going in Louisiana, especially at that age we were, about 30. And we had a, we had a large church for those days, very large in those days, and uh, that we had literally built from about 13 people. Um, and it had grown quite large, and I, but I wanted to come to Denver, and I wanted to move to Colorado. I loved Colorado, and I was still young, and so I wanted to make the move while I was still young, but I had no idea how it was going to affect my children and affect my wife, and frankly, I was so young, I never even considered it until after I got up here. I didn't realize that I had actually drugged them at that time, kicking and screaming. Uh, not that Becky was that way because she wasn't, but I didn't, re you know, how many of you know that? You can make a major change and you haven't taken the time to really talk that out. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. Smiling Rudy knows he came all the way from Australia. I just came from Louisiana to Colorado, right? And so the, the truth is, is that when you do that, what, what people resist is they don't resist change. Don't get up and think people are resisting change. Well, they are, but what they're really resisting is loss. In other words, it's the loss of what either they perceive they had, the loss of possibly what they really had, and so it's loss and grief they resist. It's not just the change itself. Then the second thing I want you to see on the emotional effects of change is that when change actually begins to go in the process, there's this conflicting feeling that people get on the inside and then that, if they don't deal with it appropriately, it can actually lead to anger. Now the truth is, if somebody knows what they're doing and they watch this, this course, they read the book, they can direct the anger to help them actually experience change. In fact, let me say this, most people at Karis who come to Karis, the majority of people that come to Karis are actually going through uh, in their own mind, they don't even know it, they're in a transition. Most people that come, the, the highest psychographic of who comes to Karis is people that are in transition. What's next for my life? <clears throat> They've got to answer the question, what's next? And sometimes in that process, <clears throat> you can actually feel conflicted. That's why you got to listen to the Holy Spirit. That's why you got to make sure you're, you're, you're taking those steps. But the truth is, is anger and conflict sometimes as you're going through that process come up. <clears throat> so let me say this, if you're leading change in an organization, when people feel this right here, loss and grief, the next thing that happens on, in the inside is anger and conflict. They go, what are you trying to do to me? What are you trying to take away from me? What am I going to lose? What is this going to look like? I wish I could get some help, but I'm not getting no help. You got it? All right. And then the next thing that could happen on emotional effects of change is that rejection and abandonment. Now, let's talk about this from the standpoint of force change, right? So force change, because by the way, you'll feel these even when you choose to change. If you don't think you're going to feel loss when you choose to change proactively, just try going on a diet. Right? Right? And that pizza will start calling out to you, much less the rice and gravy, right? Last night, my wife has found this peanut butter and chocolate ice cream. And I tell you, it, I'm telling you, y'all need to ask her about it. I'm just telling you, it's, it's 360 calories 
for a is it a pint? It's a pint. And you know, if you go get Baskin Robbins peanut butter and chocolate, which I like, it's like 1,700 calories for the pint. No, it is really. And the other ones are like 1,500. This one is 360. I give you a money back guarantee. You eat that sucker. I promise you, you won't think it's any different. And it's not some artificially kind of weird flavor type. I mean, it's the real thing. It's got big chunks of peanut butter like that. My God, I had a spiritual experience last night. Huh? How come I was telling that story? I have no idea. Loss. Loss and grief. But when you go on a diet, you're going to feel loss. You're going to feel anger and conflict. You get all bothered. And then what happens is rejection and abandonment. Let me say this about force change. Are you ready? About force change. And I love this statement. It says, one man eloquently stated, there are vast undamaged areas in every human life if we can only discover them. And, and what I mean by that is that no matter what kind of stuff you have gone through, when I saw some of the Columbine survivors come out of it, and how God literally promoted them worldwide, meaning some of the actual victims or victims' families, that what happens is that, is that you may think your life is over when forced change comes, but the truth, the truth is there are vast undamaged, undamaged areas. Now, I like this scripture, 1 Kings 3, and this is the scripture, verses 16 and 30, where... Uh, the here this particular version of the Bible uh, says the sometime later two prostitutes came to the king to have an argument settled and you remember the argument they had you remember that right they both had newborn babies right one of them rolled over and suffocated the baby and the baby died you remember that and then the other one of course her baby was alive they came they came to the king because the one who who had killed her baby right, accidentally had killed her baby, she said that, that the live baby is my baby and the dead baby is her baby. So Solomon, in his wisdom, said, okay, we're going to cut the child in two, right? Well, he did it in wisdom. He, didn't, you know, he wasn't really going to cut it in two, but he knew the real mother. I believe he had the wisdom to know the real mother was going to say what? No, you just keep my child. We're not going to let that child be cut in two. That was the wisdom that God had given Samuel to, uh, excuse me, Solomon to do that. So when we look at this on, on responses to change, a lot of times people get desperate like the one who actually really did suffocate the child and they don't respond to change appropriately. And I like to say right here, and I'm going to say this a couple of times and I want you to hear this now loud and clear. When force change comes, like this. Remember, force change came to both of them. Force change came to the mother who accidentally suffocated her child. And then all of a sudden, the mother who had, hadn't done anything, she also had force change because now the other lady's accusing her of having taken her baby. All right? So watch how both of them responded. When we think about this and look at this, the response to change, one of them was, watch this now, the mother who really, whose child was really alive, when she responded to Solomon and said to him, you, you can have my baby, that's, you know, I don't want to lose the baby. What she did was, watch this now, she actually graduated from faith to trust 
in her life. What she said was, I'm going to trust God enough in this situation that I'm going to give to, I'm going to give my child. I don't understand it all. I don't see it all. Whereas the mother who was being selfish in the time of forced change said, give me the baby. In other words, the challenge is anytime we are faced with stuff we don't appreciate or we don't like, what happens is, is that sometimes we have to really press in and trust God, even if it means it looks like in the natural we're going to lose something in our life. But we have to graduate and say, okay, God, you're the one that's in control of this. I believe I receive whatever it is, meaning you've got it in control and I'm going to trust you for it. Now, listen, don't shout me down today because I'm <laughs> preaching. So when we look at this, uh, when we talk about choosing your response to change, the first is really compromise. Now, look, I'm, I'm teaching in chapter one here and I want to show you something. And, and it actually shows you what the chapter says. And right down here, about three quarters of the way down the, this page on page 26, in the summary, it, sums, it says some people respond to change by compromising. They merely put up with it and resign themselves to minimizing its effect in their life. In other words, they compromise and they go and they say, okay, how can I minimize the effect of this change. In other words, they don't really work through the change or they don't allow the change to propel them to something else in their life. They just want to know how to minimize it. Then the second part is endure. So let's look on page 26. And the next here summary, uh, summary sentence says, some people respond to change by enduring. They fight change by waiting for things to go back the way they were. Now, this is really true when it comes to organizational change, right? People don't like organizational change. That's why when you're introducing change, you've got to introduce it properly, and you have to say it seven times, seven different ways, when you're introducing change, because what are they going to feel first? What are they going to feel? Loss. loss. People don't resist change. They, re they resist loss. So that's what happens. And I even experience that myself sometimes dealing with stuff that I even know that's what's happening. Right? Even myself. Somebody's taking something away from me. So I want you to see this. So... In, when we use the term endure, what we literally mean is they fight change by waiting for things to go back the way they were. And then the next one is resist. And, and, I, and this one, the summary, because I did the summaries, really captures this one on resist. Because the first sentence says, some people respond to change by denial. They resist or avoid change by denying that a change has even occurred or, meet, or admitting that it has, has occurred by, ignore, by ignoring its effects. So one of the things I want you to understand is, is that the biggest issue that people have with change, if you need to, a positive or proactive change, is actually denying that a change has happened. Now let me say this, and I want to make sure you... You, you process this. It can happen as well with forced change. 
Now, one of the things I just want to say, I know it's been recorded, but I want to say it to the class and to the business school here at Karis and the world outreach as a part of Karis is this, uh, worldwide literally, is that when it comes to forced change, meaning change is coming down the pipe. Now, forced change, let's be clear, sometimes forced change is not always like bad change. It's not, forced change is not always a tragedy. Sometimes forced change is when you're in an organization or a corporation that's trying to do better. And so sometimes it kind of moves you out of your particular comfort zone. Well, you're not going to help yourself in those situations if you're on the receiving end if you try to ignore it or you get into a denial level. How many of you have ever seen the, the, the movie Up in the Air with George Clooney? And I don't remember the lady, I apologize. But Up in the Air, you know, I've flown almost like that. If you go back, not even though I fly light right now, but I also back in the days even before that movie came out, I mean, I was, I was a top-tier flyer at United Airlines. And I, so I kind of experienced, I kind of knew some of that kind of stuff of, of uh, you know, you're going after certain rewards and certain miles. But one of the things he would do, how he got his mileage, is he was, he was the firing expert. He fired people, right? And if you remember, I mean, it was humorous, but if you thought, if you were the one on the end of the firing, it wasn't that humorous. But I remember one scene, one scene, where he came in and told the guy, it was a guy, he told the guy, you know, really, you should have been preparing for this. And then the guy kind of explained where he was at, and the truth was he sh the guy should have been preparing for it because he hadn't done anything to prepare. He was just denying that things around him were actually changing, right? It was actually changing. So you want to be proactive in this process. So here's the point. You can choose your response. And so as we look at this, choosing your response is, is that acknowledging, hey, things are actually changing around me. Things are different. There's something that I need to do. And here in the, in the summary, I actually put this to deal effectively with change. You must acknowledge it, evaluate the reasons for it, do something about it, and use it as a catalyst to propel you to something bigger and better. Now, I have to tell you about my own life here quickly. Whenever, whenever uh, over about a dozen years ago or so, 12 years ago, when I actually kind of stepped off the grid and told myself that I was retiring, and I want, I want you to hear me now. I want you to hear this as, I kinda, as we get close to the break here is that I genuinely thought, I mean, I really believed in that season of life. Now remember, I changed proactively. I stepped away from what I was doing. And I can tell you authentically in my heart and mind, I never wanted to get up and teach again. I wasn't mad at anybody. I wasn't mad at God or anything like that, nothing like that. It was, in my mind, it was proactive, right? So I had the finances to be able to do that. I, and, and I thought everything that I ever thought I wanted, right, I got. In one way, that's pretty sad. In another way, that's, and about a year into it, 
I realized one day looking in the mirror, true story, I had, you know, we lived in a beautiful home. I had several homes. I had a big condo in the mountains. I mean, a beautiful place that Becky would never go live in. She would go stay there for a week, maybe. And uh, that, was a, that was something I didn't see coming. I thought she would go to this beautiful place and live. And she said, I hate it up here. You brought me just close enough to be just far enough away, close enough to be in Colorado, but far enough away from my grandkids. I can't drive in and see them when I want to because we're a little bit too far away. I just can't do that. And she said, then when I got to take you to the airport, it takes me forever to get to the airport and get back. I'm not going to live up here. Well, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> and then the second thing I didn't see coming was we had a beautiful home down in Woodlands, Texas, a big saltwater swimming pool and a big, a big waterfall and all the stuff you would think big built in, all the stuff you thought in a beautiful home sitting there, right? And uh, she told me, about six months in, I hate this place. Well, I didn't see that coming. Right? I thought she would love it. Now, we were taking care of mother, but here's the point I'm making quickly. The point I'm making quickly is I, I had to acknowledge uh, things that were going on around me, and I made a proactive change. But then when I got into it, I had to do an evaluation. I had to say, look, what is going on here? You know, how, how am I going to deal with this? I'm telling the truth to all of you. Now, I've been doing this for a while. I've been teaching you now almost every month this year in business class, and I've been working with World Outreach and Mike and Carrie for quite a you know, couple of years anyway. But back then, I never thought I'd get up and speak again. In fact, I didn't want to get up and speak again at that time. Now, I speak all over the world. I love it. I'm having the time of my life. But it took the Holy Spirit and my wife, and sometimes your wife is the Holy Spirit, <laughs> to, to get me out of where I needed to be. So evaluation, and then you got to get up and do something. We hope you learned something of lasting value today from this Wealth Builders podcast. If you'd like any tools, teachings, or resources mentioned in the podcast, you'll find them online at wealthbuilders.org. Wealth Builders exist to teach you how to build wealth through applied biblical wisdom in your finances, your business, and your investments. The Wealth Builders podcast is produced by Celine Williams with music by Audio Jungle and narration by Greg Hunter. Wealth Builders is a nonprofit organization. We depend on your donations to keep this podcast running. Please consider donating to us on wealthbuilders.org.